there's a lot less competition Mm -hmm. on a new development because there's a really high barrier to entry. Right. Right. So, I mean, some of those risks that, that we're taking on is when we go, like we'll go under contract, we'll spend 50, hundred thousand dollars, uh, all the way up until we, we don't even know at this point, if the city is going to let us build what we want to build. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am your host, as always, Yona Weiss, and I am joined today by Michael Holman of the Overland Group out in Salt Lake City. What's going on, Michael? Not much. Thanks for having me, Yona. Pleasure. I'm uh, so glad that you were able to join me today on the podcast. I'm excited because you know you uh, have done a lot of uh, business with with someone that I admire greatly, uh, Neil Bawa, who we were speaking about beforehand, and he's someone that you know I've learned a tremendous amount from. He was uh, one of the top hits on our podcast. So hopefully this episode can can uh, can match that. I, absolutely, I will say those are some those are some big shoes to fill, Yona. But Neil is Neil is quite the dynamic speaker, and he's got a he's got quite the mind, and so uh, it's it's really entertaining and fun to listen to him. So if I get anywhere near Neil's hits, you know, I, like half, I'm feeling like, hey, we we just got to win. Absolutely, no, I, I agree with that. He's <laughs> believe it or not, he's uh he's one of our top uh, listed listen to podcasts. If anyone wants to check that out, we'll we'll you know just go search back. It was one of the first episodes, I think, in the first ten or fifteen episodes we did back uh, about a year ago. So, anyways, Michael, give, tell a little background about about yourself. Obviously, you're with the Overland Group, which is a real estate development uh, mm-hmm. investment firm, and you're out of Salt Lake City, and that's that's pretty much all I got. So, why don't you give us give our listeners a little more context before we get into this? Yeah, absolutely. So, I've been here for about four years. And uh, Overland Group really is, it's vertically integrated. So we do development, construction, and management, uh, mainly multifamily, mixed use, storage. Uh, in my four years, I've kind of ebbed and flowed. We've, uh, we've grown a lot. So we've gone, when I came in about, like I said, about four years ago, we had roughly 10 million in the development pipeline. We're currently sitting right now as it stands, uh, just over 150 million. So a lot of growth, a lot of exponential growth. Uh, definitely my partnership with Neil Bawa, who we were just talking about, definitely has, has helped that. So we've, uh, we've grown a lot together and, uh, we really value that relationship. And for myself, I actually came from, uh, an accounting background. Oh, I so like yeah, my, my background, I got a master's of accounting from, from Brigham Young University, BYU. Uh, I went to Ernst and Young, worked there for a little while, got my CPA, uh, and this is actually a family business. So my father, Ken, who owns it, he actually kind of drawed me away a little bit and put put a bunch of opportunity in front of me just that I couldn't resist, right? And so I ended up coming over and it's been uh, it's been an amazing ride. I've loved it ever since. That's great. So you've kind of grew up around real estate, right? I, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, we were always we were always talking about real estate development, real estate assets growing up. Uh, you know, I look I look back on it and I think, what how come I wasn't listening more, you know, during those first <laughs> 18 years of, of life that I was home? Uh, but uh, I've made up for it in the last four years. That's awesome. And you have kids now, also. I do. Yes. So married and the I got, same. Uh, same. Hopefully, giving them the the exposure. Also, 
I'm trying. They're four and one. So, okay. <laughs> uh, so most things kind of go in one ear and out the other. Uh, it, it's the same way with my wife, to be honest. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, I, she, I can talk for about five minutes, uh, when it comes to real estate development or real estate investment. And she's like, okay, that's good for today. We'll talk more tomorrow. <laughs> I don't I believe just get excited about it. <laughs> I can relate to that so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's that's hilarious. But um it, it really is. So what do you um so what do you guys focus on? Let, I wanna I wanna kind of get into dig into some of the things that you've learned over the past few years that you've been involved in this. Obviously, with the accounting background, I would assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're more focused in a, a role related to numbers, maybe spreadsheets, underwriting, uh, that kind of thing. What what does that uh, look like for you your day to day? Yeah, so I'm kind of I'm a little bit all over the place. I've been a little bit of a floater. So when I first came over to Overland, it was to do development of all things, right? And so I spent three months there. And three months after we got here, the controller uh, gave us his two week notice. He had gotten a great job, so everybody kind of looked around and said, "Well, you you're a CPA. Time for you to take over the accounting." So I took over the accounting for six to nine months, got that running. Where I've really settled in. Uh, is development and capital markets. So my specialty from the moment we go under contract on a piece of land up until I can hand it off to the construction team, I'm everything in between there uh, with a main focus too of making sure that we have all the money needed when it comes time to close on the construction loan. So those are really my main focuses. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, obviously the money is uh, is the main component, right? I mean, obviously, there's when you're doing construction, there's a lot of things that lead up to that point. You know, getting permits and, and getting things cleared, you know, land, etc. But the money is really what what it's all about. So, in terms of capital markets, you know, you're you're focused on a lot of financing relationships with banks and things like that and lenders. Yeah, absolutely, all the time. So I, I'm constantly working with with lenders. You know, this has led to a bunch of good partnerships too. So we vary how we bring in our equity capital. So we'll partner. Sometimes we'll we'll go with like Neil. You know, that's that's been a great relationship. We have other syndication partners that we've used as well. Um, some deals we do ourselves, um, or we we bring in institutional. So we kind of run the gamut and we okay. take it deal by deal on what makes sense. Uh, we 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 like all the forms of equity. We're not married to just one, um, but yeah. And then I spend a lot of time with lenders. So I spend, I would say I spend about 30 to 40% of my time. I'm talking to lenders, investors, partners, people like that um, to just make sure we get deals funded uh, and taking it across the finish line. There's a lot of stuff that comes in, you know, that last two, three months, right before you're about to start a, a 60 or $70 million construction project. Mm-hmm. And so I'm shepherding it through that entire process. Gotcha. That that can be a, a huge a huge responsibility, right? I mean, you know, you got a that's a big deal. Uh, how did you how did you get involved? In that? I mean, you said you when you came to Overland, you guys had about ten million under assets. Now you're over 150. I mean, that's obviously been a big step. I mean, we did you have any like take me back if you will, like uh, you know, four years ago when you're like talking about getting started, the first big deal you're doing, or was it like totally overwhelming or where you, you know, you kind of just take it as it comes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. So, I mean, our company's had ups and downs, right? I mean, Ken, my father, he's been doing this for 40 years. And so there's been two or three times that we've done really, really well. Mm-hmm. And so you asked me four years ago, I'm going to take 30 seconds. I'm going to take you back 20 years ago. <laughs> so 20 years ago, right? We were, we were doing really good as Overland Group, really well-known, really established. Uh, we had one big equity partner who was an institution, big insurance company who got bought by AIG. 
uh, AIG sent Ken an attorney and said, uh, hey, we decided we have too much real estate. So you have 90 days to sell everything, right? And it was like, we had like six or seven ass, like major assets, right? Everything from 200 plus apartment units, a hotel. We had a golf course with these people. Like we had a lot of stuff. Um, and so, you know, we've done a lot of big deals in the past, but that was kind of like one of the last big influxes. And then we, we kind of took a period where, you know, Ken was like, Hey, I'm, that wasn't that much fun. I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of live off of what I have right now. That worked up until 2006, 2008, started doing dollar stores, little deals that we were like, Hey, we're not going to go into the big deals right now. Uh, it's, it's too, just too scarring, right. Too, uh, too emotionally involved at that point. Well, we started working up when I came in, we had one storage unit that was really being developed. And what ended up happening is I came in and we just started looking saying, you know what, I think it's time to, to start doing big deals. Like it's, it's time to take this from, from, you know, single, single tenant, triple net lease deals and storage deals to back to multifamily. I mean, really back to our roots. I mean, Ken's it overland over the last 40 years, we've developed well over 2000 apartment units. We're probably, I think we're up to probably over 3000 at this point now, you know, hundreds of millions in development. So it was kind of like, Hey, let's go back to our roots, right? That's what we know. That's what we understand. We have experience in it. And so it's kind of funny as we work through that progression, uh, one of the first deals we got, uh, it was actually the precursor to the falls at Crisman Commons, which is uh, which is one of our projects. It's about to go under construction, 240 units. We were going to do a senior living before that. Mm-hmm. So we we knew a guy who had this land. He, he didn't know what to do. He called he called us and said, hey, just help me figure out what to do with this land. We saw it. We said, we know what to do. Sell it to us. Uh, so, <laughs> so we bought it. And it was going to be a senior living. And, and this kind of just, this is reflective of Overland and who we are. So here's what happened. It was going to be a $40 million construction cost. Uh, we needed $10 million in equity is what we were projecting. And so I went around and I just started asking everyone in the company, hey, how do we raise $10 million? What do we do? Right. Uh, and everyone's looking at me like, eh. you know, Ken's like, hey, last time I raised $10 million 20 years ago with an insurance company that no right. longer exists. You know, and so everyone just kind of looked around. Uh, so kind of the attitude and the mindset that we had. And, and it's funny looking back on it. I literally Googled, I said, real estate investment <laughs> firms, right? And hit a Google search. And here I am, I'm taking like, the, I took the top 100. And so uh, I'm writing down people like Blackstone, uh-huh. right? I mean, <laughs> Goldman Sachs. And and I kid you not, call it, call it being naive or call it being determined on uh, whichever you want. I picked up the phone and I just started calling and I'm calling the general numbers, right? I mean, right. Uh, this I'm, I'm getting <laughs> voicemails. I occasionally, I get a receptionist of like Blackstone and it's like, Hey, what I'm, I'm over here. Hey, uh, so who do I talk to? I got, I need $10 million. Who wants to invest it with me? Yeah. It's, and so that was, that was kind of what happened. And to be honest, 95% of them didn't hear anything from them. You know, 4% of them just completely berated me. And it was like, you have no business calling me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Right. And then, but, but to be honest, I had one, which led to something, which led to something, which led to something that actually we, we were able to, and almost had that deal done before we decided, Hey, we don't want to be in senior living, but we, we had accomplished that. Right. And so when we switched, we ended up partnering with Neil when we switched from senior living to apartments, but that's just kind of been uh, really representative of what the last four years have been like for us. Right. <laughs> I mean, when, when we get somewhere that we don't know how to do, it's like, all right, well, we're going to pick up the phone and yeah, I'm going to, I mean, I, I, I was calling 
Cardone Capital, right? Grant Cardone. I'm calling all these people at the time. I didn't even know who half of them were at the time. So I, I go back to that list every once in a while when I want a good laugh and uh, funny. and just think about me, me uh, cold calling, trying to try to call the general number of Goldman Sachs to uh, see if they want to put $10 million. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's actually a really great story. And, and it, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that did exactly the same thing and maybe came to similar results. And because it is, it has a lot to do with determination. It certainly has a lot to do with the uh, naivete, right? I mean, it's, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of that, but I can relate to that as well. I remember many years ago when I first got involved in, um, in real estate, I did a similar thing. Like I literally just like Googled, like, all the big real estate development firms and was literally like cold calling, trying to get through the CFOs and all this kind of stuff. And it didn't play out the way that I had hoped it to, but I did meet some great people through that. And, you know, it's just about networking, putting the effort out there. You never know. And I always say this, you never know what is going to come your way from the efforts that you put out there because by putting out there into the world, right, that energy and that efforts, it may come from a totally different place but it was only because you took that initiative uh, that kind of opened up those channels for uh, for those opportunities to come your way. And I, I'm a very firm believer in that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and even even our experience on the next one was similar, right? I mean, so that one, we, we had kind of had this other project that was in between there. And that's how we got hooked up with, with one of our partnerships is that, that ended up kind of starting a, a long, good relationship for us was... We were just reaching out to everybody. We were talking to everybody. You know, we were, for lack of a better term, we were being really scrappy. Like, I hate to say it, but uh, I I never professed to be the smartest guy in a room, you know, I, but, but we were just, we were really scrappy. And that's what led us Mm -hmm. to find all these other partnerships is just through a connection, through a connection, you know, a connection of connection of connection. And we got stuff done. And that just kind of kept happening. And the more that we, it gave us some belief at the beginning, That's right? Nice. When you, when you do that and you start getting even just, even just small wins, right? I remember I, I am, I'm the kind of guy that runs around the office every time anything remotely good happens and start <laughs> high-fiving everybody. Right. <laughs> I, I just, I'm an emotional roller coaster and that's just the way, I, the way that I'm built. And, and so uh, I, I apologize to my wife all the time for that. Cause uh, she gets very high highs and very low lows for me. So I'm all over the place, but that's just kind of how we've been, right? And, and it's able to build off of that and build off of that momentum. I mean, we don't we don't stop with just, hey, that was good, and now we're going to go celebrate. We're continually growing off of that. So, yeah, that's been huge for us. It's amazing, and it just keeps going, right? I mean, obviously, once you realize you have that success and you have a deal, I mean, you're talking about really exponential growth, right? What, what you've been able to accomplish, and it seems like you're not slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's no intention, so. Uh, we, we definitely are going to keep going. So we'll, uh, we've kind of set our targets for what, what our development pipeline needs to be, mm-hmm. uh, before we, before we reevaluate and we're, we're getting closer. Um, we still have a little ways to go before we, before we pump the brakes for, uh, probably six to 12 months and reevaluate where we're at. And if we want to, if we want to go to the next level, uh, but yeah, so far and for the foreseeable future, we're, we're definitely still going. One thing that I love about uh, development deals is it takes a lot more sophistication and a lot more uh, you know strategic partnerships to make something like that pull off. However, there's usually a lot more upside, right, than your typical syndications and uh, you know that are out there. A lot of people doing multifamily syndications. A lot of people buying real estate. Not a lot of people doing ground up development, 
And I think part of the reason why that is, is because it comes with a lot more risk, a lot more um, necessary partnerships uh, to get that far. And it's hard to kind of break that ground. But when you have that background, like you said, your family company has been doing this for a couple of few decades already, you have that ground to work on. So I think you have uh, you know, a, a head above the rest in terms of that, in terms of being able to accomplish those kind of things. But nevertheless, I mean, what kind of challenges are you faced with in doing these type of uh, you know new construction development deals that you wouldn't have had otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. And, th- and there's definitely some challenges that we face. I mean, that's a question I get all the time is why, you know, why do you do development over, over value add? And honestly, all the reasons that you just listed, uh, that's my response. And most people look at me and say, well, that's, that's a negative. And I say, yeah, I mean, it, it's more difficult, but there, that's a good thing for me, right? There's a lot less competition mm-hmm. on a new development because there's a really high barrier to entry, right? right? So, I mean, some of those risks that, that we're taking on, is when we go, like we'll go under contract, we'll spend fifty, hundred thousand uh, dollars all the way up until we we don't even know at this point if the city's going to let us build what we want to build. I mean, we we got to we got to do site plans, we have to do engineering drawings, we have to do renderings, we have to do all sorts of things just to go into the city mm-hmm. and and then ask the city, hey, do you like it? Do you want to let us build it? You know, obviously it's not like that and uh, uh, all the way, but but we. Uh, and we definitely take precautions going into it, but essentially, at the end of the day, the city has the say. So we we could lose, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, and and if our earnest money has gone hard, you know, on a on a land contract before we get to that point, it could be more if we were willing to take that risk. So those there's definitely a lot of upfront risk that we mm-hmm. take on development. I mean, the other things that come to mind um, from that is loans, not non recourse loans are out there, but you're a lot more likely to have to guarantee. A construction loan. Mm-hmm. And that's another big barrier to entry, right? I mean, like I said, there's non-recourse loans out there, but a lot of your best loans are recourse. And so, you know, who do you, do you have the ability yourself or through partnerships to guarantee a, a $40 million construction loan, right? When the bank generally has very specific requirements. I mean, right. most banks require a, a one-to-one ratio net worth to loan mm-hmm. and, and a minimum of 10% liquidity. And so, I mean, you have to generally pull some people together or you yourself, or you have to have one big partner. Right. So that's, that's the other one that, that really comes to mind. And I'll, I'll just give you my third and last kind of major risk with development that I see, uh, but is also one of the reasons why it's such a big payoff is we're dealing, we're dealing a lot with the unknown. So most of what we're doing is projections, right? right. I mean, when we first do a project, we take construction costs, for example, right? Those have been all over the place the last year, sure. year and a half. Uh, we, we had this on one of our projects, actually the one that we've kind of been talking about, this Mesa project, we projected it. It was, it was 38 million back when we did our first projections and, and we were spot on. We had multiple bids. We were good to go. <clears throat> well, by the time when we got under construction, that 38 million construction costs, that went up to 50 million, right? Through all the lumber and concrete and, and everything that skyrocketed. And so that's one of the things that you have to look at is say, how do you deal with that? Right. Wow. How do you how do you maneuver? And especially if you're syndicating your deals. I mean, capital calls are pretty common in an institutional development world. That's how a lot of these, that's how a lot of the, the institutions work, mm-hmm. but that's not the same with a syndication, right? right? Most, most investors on a syndication deal aren't that interested in you going back and saying, hey, guess what? 
this project's actually $12 million more. We're going to need everybody, you know, to bring in 50% more of what they originally put in to keep your same ownership percentage. Right. You know, that, uh, that's, that's generally not a, not what happens. And so that's definitely one of the risks that we deal with is, mm-hmm. is development is a lot more fluid, right? When you're purchasing a value add 99%, 98% of, of the total price is set. It's in a contract. It's set in a price. When you're doing development, 95% of what you're doing is fluid. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's definitely what we deal with. I will say on that project though, that our cost might have increased about 12 million, 15 million dollars, but our value also went up by about 30 million. So we are we're sitting in a pretty good position with there that. There you go. That's yeah. And so I mean, I th- obviously those those two factors are are very much related and interconnected. So if you know value goes up, it goes up all around. But but again, you you're not necessarily going to see that value in for another year or two. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, I mean, but, but going back to what you said, right, it's all risk reward. And Mm -hmm. we, you know, people, people look at me all the time and they say, you know, development's really risky. And I, and I kind of pause and I say, you know, I I, I'm under the personal belief and maybe it's just, I have, you know, an unlimited risk tolerance, which you don't normally see from a, from a former CPA, but uh, I look at it and I say, you know, but is it, if, if you have 40 years of experience, you've done this time and time again, you have the best teams, Everybody knows what they're doing and everybody's really, really good at what they're doing. Is that necessarily more risky than someone who on the surface might be purchasing something that appears less risky, but they themselves don't have as much experience or they don't have an entire, I mean, when we're doing a development, right? I have, I have very high powered land use and real estate attorneys surrounding me, Mm -hmm. architects, engineers, brokers, right? I have all of this really high powered experience surrounding the deal. Absolutely. Um, and so I look at it and I say, you know, a little bit, a little bit less risky, but yeah, that, that deal, $66 million to build it. Uh, we got an appraisal just a few months ago, $106 million uh, appraised value at stabilized. That's awesome. uh, so, so we're pumped, but yeah, that's definitely awesome. that risk and reward. That's, that's huge. That's huge. And I, I think you're absolutely right in terms of the risk and having the experience certainly, right reduces the risk. And I think everyone would agree with that. It's more risky to invest with someone on a clearly right easy value add deal with a um with a sponsor who has no idea what they're doing than it is to uh, <laughs> invest with you know extremely you know full ground up development with a sponsor that has 40 years of experience doing the same thing. Right. There's it's not inherent to the project. It has a lot more to do with the team. And I think that's a, a huge insightful point that you made there. And I'm grateful for that. But I want to um, want to transition now to what we call the final four. These are four questions I ask all my guests, Michael. I'd love to know what's the worst job that you ever had. So the worst job that I ever had, I, I, what I will say, I don't want to throw out any names because I really respect all the companies that I've worked for. So I'm not going to throw out any names, but let me throw out the situation that made it the worst. So the here's the situation that was that made it the worst job for me. Uh, the job was with a pretty large company and, and the system that they were using to reward people, it was just, they were rewarding mediocrity, right? So what they did is they came back to us and they said, I, I was there for my first year. I felt like I killed that. I took on all this extra responsibility. I was doing things that other people weren't doing. And they came back and said, you know what? Everybody who's only been here a year, we can't really tell anyone apart. So everybody's just going to get the same raise no matter what, right? And, and that really kind of threw me for a loop. I was like, whoa, that's not, 
that's not how I work. Right. I'm, I'm very much like, I want everything to be performance-based. And so that, that was definitely the experience. I'll give you my worst job experience and the, and the attributes surrounding that, but I'm going to keep the name, uh, I'm going to keep the name quiet out of, out of respect. Cause I really do respect the company and all the people that work there. For sure. And I think that's a, that's a really telling uh, sign, but it has a lot to do with, you know, the corporate, um, you know, environment that I think a lot of companies, you know, big corporations and things like that may act in a similar way. And it's unfortunate, mm-hmm. but I think that's why a lot of people are driven away from corporate America for those very yeah, reasons. Exactly. If you have that fire under you that wants to be great and want to be rewarded for that greatness, it's not going to do you well to sit, uh, you know, be in a company like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. So second question, what's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? So most books that I read give me a paradigm shift, to be honest. I will say the the one that I'm reading right now that I'm really liking, uh, it's the one thing. You know, it's the Gary Keller book. And it, it's it's going really well because it, it was really relevant for me in my situation right now where we're growing so exponentially. I, I've been over here you know, late nights, early mornings, you know, I'm average, you know, there's a period I'm averaging like four or five hours of sleep because I just got to get everything done. And mm-hmm. I'm always stressed out that that book has kind of helped me to back off of that a little bit. And I'm finding that I'm actually starting to be even more productive and get more done as I, as I focus in more on what's important. Right. Um, so that's, that's the one, the most recent one that comes to my mind. For sure. And that's a great book. And we've had that, you know, brought up on the podcast several times. And I think for the very good reason, because it is something that literally is a paradigm shift. It's when you get that focus, you can do so much better uh, than trying to take on so much and trying to do everything when you got that one thing. So be more successful. And we find, you know, as he talks about in the book, there's so many successful people that have just focused down on that one thing and uh, and excelled at it. So distractions need to they have their place, um, but not really with uh, the successful. So a great, great book. I'm glad we will put that on the, on the, in the show notes for our listeners. Who want to check that out. Gary Keller, the one thing, third question, what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? Yeah. The, the biggest skill and talent that I'm working on right now is I'm just attempting to be able to reach other people and connect with other people more. I'm a, I'm a huge people person. I'm a huge extrovert, right? I love talking in front of people. I, you know, public speak. I'd rather do public speaking than sit down and write a paper. Like right. no problem. Uh, and I love that. And really the skill that I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to develop more and more is, you know, I've, I've gained all this knowledge and, you know, all these transactions and all this real estate. Now, how do I, how do I turn around and, and disseminate that? And that's, you know, that's the reason I've started going on podcasts. Like, you know, I created a podcast and I'm doing these things on how do I, how do I, connect with people better so that mm-hmm. they can better their lives and and maybe take some of my experiences and skip a few of the of the pitfalls that I ran into. Awesome. That's a that's a great skill to have and it's it's something that you can really go a long way with. I'll give you one tip. We got this and I'm something I'm working on personally too. Uh, we got this from Adam Gower on one of our previous episodes that he's written books and anyone can go back and check out that that episode there with Adam Gower. He goes into more details, but he's written several books, but he told me something that totally shocked me, which is that he's never actually sat down to write a book. So he's taken lectures and he's taken uh, podcasts that he's done and webinars and things like that and had it transcribed and given over to kind of ghostwriters who can then take all that information, turn it into blogs, 
turn it into long form articles and and essentially eventually uh, books which he's published three books already that was totally blew my mind because yeah. i'm like i can't sit down and write a book but i can talk <laughs> i can film a <laughs> podcast and yeah. i can do that and turn that into blogs turn that into articles it's just yeah. it's a huge um you know that's a huge opportunity we're sitting you know gold mine right there yeah absolutely reminds me of gary vaynerchuk um i mean he he talks about that in one of his books that you know, he, he didn't write it. He sat there and he, he spoke it and then he had a ghostwriter write it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something, you know, so easily, so easily, easily done if you just focus on it. So, so fourth and final question, Michael is going to be, what does success mean to you? Yeah. If you, uh, if you were to ask me that question two or three years ago, it would have been strictly related to financials, right? I mean, how much money do I have is, is the main measure uh, focus changed a little bit. I mean, I've had I've had two kids. My family's grown a little bit. Um, you know, there was a period where my health started to suffer because, like I said, when you get four or five hours of sleep a night, uh, that that generally doesn't uh, do well for your body. So I look at it right now, and I I view success as being able to do something that you love and you're passionate about, and you get to share in the rewards of that with other people. I mean, that's. I look at that and just say, you know, I want to do what I love and I want to, sh- if there's, if there's rewards or whatever rewards exist around it, whether it be money, whether it be anything else, right. How do I share those with those that I care about and those around me? That's great. Love that answer. Totally, uh, totally relatable on many levels. So appreciate that. And you know, we change, but we grow, we change these definition. It may mean something different to you in uh, in a few years from now as well. And I think that's the important part of, uh, being a growing person is being able to recognize, okay, my values have changed a little bit and uh, maybe success is, is something totally different, but no, I love that answer. And it's all about really, you know, sharing those rewards. So I appreciate that. Uh, Michael, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Yeah. They, I mean, really there's, there's two main spots. Uh, the first one, I mentioned that podcast, right? So we just started it. Uh, executive rei show.com. You can find me there. If you're looking for, you know, all the podcasts and everything like that, if you're looking to actually get in contact with me directly, that's going to be going to overlandcapitalcorp.com. Once you're there, there's a big button right at the front that says schedule a call. Well, I make it a point. Uh, if you click that button, fill that out, that call is going to be directly with me. So I, I try very hard um, and I'm going to do it as long as I possibly can. Anybody who has a question, whether you're you know, a potential investor or not, if you want to get a hold of me, you can schedule that call and I'm going to take as many of those calls for as long as I possibly can. Awesome. Yeah. That the same, uh, same thing goes for me. And that's what keeps my schedule packed every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those calls. But uh, I appreciate that. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure catching up with you and I'm really glad you took the time today. Absolutely. Thank you, Yona. I'm wishing you much success, best of luck, and continued success, I should say. And uh, to all our listeners, you've listened thus far, this far, thus far, I guess, to this point. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. But don't forget, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, 
leave a rating review, I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.